What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Guess what? I just released my book internationally, as in I made it available internationally through the Sweathead website at www.sweathead.com. It's called Strategy Is Your Words. It's just under 400 pages. It smells nice. It touches nice. Apparently it reads okay as well. I've started to see a few reviews for a couple of weeks. I was just seeing people taking photos of the book arriving and now I'm starting to see excerpts pop up and people's comments pop up. And here's the thing, you know, our, our industry is pretty competitive, sometimes cutthroat. We're not used to supporty, supporting each other in public. And so when people support me, which is something that I try to do, uh, I really appreciate it because it doesn't come naturally, I don't think, to this industry. Uh, you, you can see that because uh, just through this podcast, over 710,000 listens, 58 reviews. (laughs) That's an unusual ratio. So either it's just robots listening to this and humans are not listening to this, or people don't like to review things, or it's a bit of an industry-specific thing. Because I'm pretty sure I could do something on yoga or meditation and the review-to-listening ratio would be slightly different. Anyway, you can check out the book. It's been out for about a month or two within the U.S., I was hoping to get the international shipping down, but of the $70 it costs to ship one book, and it'll cost less to ship two, but of the $70, 30 to 40 of that is going to DHL in my shipping company. There are five to 10 charges for every single thing that you send, everything from fuel surcharges, there's a surging pricing thing happening right now as the shipping companies are overwhelmed or just spotting a lot of opportunity, having undermined the USPS, make up your own decision on that one. Uh, but there are five to ten different types of things that you're paying for just to send one item. And you obviously have things like storage fees and account management. With the shipping company, they charge per box. So you pay for a box, the box that I'm using at least. And then there's a fee per item. And then to touch an item, there's another fee. So if you've got five items, there's little fees per item in the one box. Uh, then you've got the DHL fees, fuel, all, all kinds of stuff. So I wanted it to be cheaper, but it is it is what it is. And honestly, I, I think, and I'm getting a little bit of positive feedback. <laughs> I mean, I've mostly seen it just arrive in people's hands. I'm starting to see what people think of the book as they're reading it. But, uh, you know, you could compare it to a therapy session or a management training session, and it's going to be similarly priced or way cheaper than either either of those, depending on where you are in the world. But I acknowledge that it's not it's not cheap. Uh, This week, I expect to get Spanish and Portuguese translations, and what I'm looking to do is to release an ebook in English, in Spanish, and Portuguese in November. I still have that work to do. I've just been going steadily. One of the things that I learned from my little hip-hop days, having done radio and magazine for a while, is that sometimes you release the album and you think it's done. That's what I used to see a lot of, of artists do, a lot of friends do. And for me, I'm just, this is a steady grind, you know, I want this book to be purchased for years to come right now is this little under, underground moment and uh it's been it's been beautiful I, I see all the i get notifications when a book gets sold and uh, it's it's good it's strangely been sedating you know we're going to talk about mental health today but it's it feels good to have done this i did a TED, tedx talk a few years ago called uh really bad title uh, the world would be less strange if we stopped making strangers out of men that's a crazy title uh, and you could psychoanalyze the title, and if you've done gender studies, you would probably have an issue with the title itself because I'm potentially making the issue of men's behavior a collective issue rather than a men's collective issue 
and perhaps more so than an individual issue, but there is nuance within that title. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but that TEDx talk, it didn't really cure me of, of a lot of my emotions. You know, it, it just took a few years. That was probably eight years ago now, nine years ago. Um, but getting this book out, it, it feels quite quite sedating, quite, quite calming. Um, and it's good. It's good. So anyway, I hope you pick it up. I don't know if I'm selling it very well, but I hope you pick it up. Half of it goes into words like... Imposter syndrome, clarity, lone wolf, truth, empathy, and there's absurdist philosophy. I, I wanted to write the crap out of this, and the risk with that is that some people it might just not work. It might not work for them, right? I wanted to write it in a literary way, and I don't mean that in a pretentious way. Nor do I mean this idea in a pretentious way. That this is my art. I happen to be trying to do art through strategy, which might horrify some people. But I thought, why not? I love talking to people who do strategy. I love talking about these topics. I didn't run, want to write a business book, and I don't believe in the idea of writing a business book as being like a business card. If you talk to people who write business books, there is this thought out there that a business book is, a, is like a new business card, as in don't worry about writing it in a very good way or a substantial way. Just make it, and then you give it out like a business card. It's not what I'm doing. This is my art. This is stuff that I have thought a lot about over 10 plus years a lot of the topics here and then uh you know honestly one of the things that i'm hoping it, it triggers with people is i almost want people to read this book and and feel that this book is reading them at the same time you know i've worked in strategy roles and in agency roles especially agency roles since i was a teenager full-time strategy roles since my late 20s there weren't that many before then and i've done it on two continents and in tens of cities around the world i've taught or worked uh, at least temporarily or visited at least for business and so I, was, I just want to put all those experiences which were often pretty difficult into a book it's not autobiographical although you could psychoanalyze me and work out some of my history in it I don't, I'm not writing about myself although it's totally about a midlife crisis I'm joking it's not uh, but yeah look check it out I, I, hope, I hope you enjoy it and don't forget that you can become a member of Sweathead as well at sweathead.com there are 100 classes that are available to you. Those will remain up for the indefinite future. I still need to work out what I'm doing with the membership, but it's $10 a month, and it's the cheapest strategy education that you'll get. I don't mean cheap as in bad. I mean affordable. And I kept it at that price because, again, I've visited a lot of places around the world, and I know that $10 a month is a lot of money for a lot of people. And so that's why I priced it at that, at that level. Uh, and I'll be adding various things that will be included in the membership as well as additional premium experiences in due course. You'll start, This will be the last episode, I think, that you'll hear without sound. We're going to play with making Sweathead a bit more professional, a bit more sophisticated. I want to step it up. We'll do that in baby steps. So you'll hear like a little Sweathead audio jab in the next one and perhaps you know, an excerpt of the interview at the start and try to make it feel a bit more professional and epic. And uh, yeah, nice, nice. I just I was just listening to a little bit of the, the edits of the new episodes and totally aware that I'm rambling right now, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And you'll start to see those in the coming days. What we're going to get into right now is we're going to talk about mental health. And apologies if, if this is a hardcore segue, but I posted an Instagram story last week. Sometimes I do that through Instagram. I just ask a question or ask people to ask me a question or give me a prompt. And then I riff on it either on the podcast or I do it on Instagram. One I posted last week was about mental health. And it was just, I just said to people, you know, if you've got something that you're stuck with or that's lurking inside you that you're finding difficult, 
write it as a question, write it as a prompt, and I'll give you some thoughts. It'll all be anonymous. Whenever I do those kinds of pleas for attention, what? No, I mean, pleas for questions. Uh, I get nervous that nobody will respond. And there were, I think, close to 80 responses. Okay, so obviously it's rough out there. People are going through a lot of trauma right now. And on the other hand, there are a lot of people who are doing better than ever who can feel just carefree about things, which is great. Congratulations. But also a lot of people who are doing okay, who feel guilty. And a lot of people who are like, I just cannot catch a break. You know, we've, we've heard stories in New York of uh, one family. I don't know the family that within the community, but uh, the kid's father passed away from COVID-19 early on and his brother had passed away on another continent the week before from COVID-19 and they hadn't seen each other. So the, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misery and pain out there. And if you're going through misery and pain in a heightened way, compared to normal you know my thoughts are with you the thing that I've realized about mental health over the years I won't go too much into my personal stuff but I think I need to mention some of it just to situate what I'm going to talk about so that you realize I'm not coming out of nowhere with this I would say I've been a friend of sadness and melancholy since I was a pretty a pretty young kid you know I'd say primary school part of that's introversion part of that's a family falling apart uh, and part of it's just some trauma that was in the household, especially through my teen years, but even before that, I'd say. And, you know, I had some pretty pretty big depressive episodes through my mid to late teens, through my 20s. And sometimes at times you just wouldn't expect it. For example, I had a really severe episode when we were pregnant with our firstborn. Uh, it's just questioning what life was about and what the world was about and who was I to take responsibility for another person. Uh, and then I think moving to New York again, a lot of stress, felt a lot of culture shock here, didn't feel I was being successful in the way I was hoping to be successful. I was, I was fortunate to have good jobs and good titles and I had good salaries. Uh, but I would go home distraught, uh, I'd be traveling, I'd get jet lagged, I'd not know how to handle myself in meetings, although it might not have come across like that at the time. But I was just like, what, what is all this stuff about? And, and this, this pain and this frustration, it, that's like what this book tries to capture a lot of, especially in the opening when uh, I talk about Andrea Pirlo, who the week after I made the book available within the US became the coach of Juventus, just saying, had nothing to do with the book, but pretty amazing. And a few days ago, he actually, or someone, I think he did, he published his philosophy about football. So if you don't follow soccer slash football, Juventus is an incredibly well-known Italian football club. They've won Serie A, the main league over there, I believe nine years in a row. Andrea Pirlo, he played in NYCFC, but that's not his, his biggest claim to fame. He, he's one of Italy's best footballers from the past generation. And he stopped playing probably three, I think three years ago. And the last time he played, I believe, was at, was for NYCFC. And he, he, there's this quote that really stuck with me where somebody had asked him what it's like to play in America. And he talks about how there's just a lot of running and too little play. And I've built a big part of my training around that theme. And then it is the introduction to the book where I compare um, Inigo Montoya's strategy in The Princess Bride. His strategy was hope. He didn't really have one because he was basically drunk until he realized he could get some kind of revenge on the uh, gentleman who had killed his father. And I compare that with Andrea Pirlo, whose strategy worked in Europe but didn't quite work as well in the US, which is something that a lot of us face when we move around that we 
think we have a handle on a particular culture or a particular way of working or even on ourselves and then we move into a different environment a different context and we realize that what worked for us in one place doesn't work anymore and maybe it didn't work in the first place and you have to reassess what you're all about and i do all of that through the lens of strategy so anyway pillows around uh and so yeah look i'm i'm around mental health you know lost lost people um within found some family stuff as well it's just uh i think about it a lot I, I research it a lot i've had people say weird things to me when i was trying to work out what the hell's going on in my head i feel calmer right now you know i wake up i haven't had a drink as well by the way uh, i have not touched alcohol in four months and i think i'm not gonna i don't know if i'm gonna drink again I, it doesn't matter if i do but i think i'm not going to drink again i feel calmer my sleep is better sleep structure is probably the first place that a lot of psychologists or therapists will start if you're dealing with mental health sleep early ish or sleep regularly probably before midnight when i when i used to do power lifting they used to talk about how the hours of sleep before midnight matter most or matter more i don't know if that's science and then try to wake up around the same time every day. Um, I've boosted my vitamin D. I was seeing some doctors or listening to doctors talk about the importance of vitamin D. So I'm taking pretty high doses, like 5,000 <laughs> IU a day. Uh, multivitamin. I've walked, for, I reckon, 800 to 900 miles around Central Park. And some of that is actually, that walking is good. My body feels really tight. Uh, but... Some of that walking is just me locking into myself in a way that's not good, actually. But I feel like physically moving is is a, me metaphorically trying to get my spirit and my soul to move. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Others will rightly think that I'm a bit nuts. Uh, and then today I woke up like the weather shifted in New York and I do find myself seasonal and it, it shifted. And I was like, yeah, I could start doing yoga again, which I've not done all year. I was doing Pilates. I like the Pilates reformer. Quite fun. Uh, but I did 30 minutes of simple yoga today because the weather shifted. And then I realized that I actually sat down to start to write my book on October 1st, which is a few days from now, but that was two years ago. And so I I'm, seem to be really seasonally, like I, I shift into the seasons. I don't know if everyone's like that or if some of us are a bit sensitive to it. In, in summer, it's just so hot in New York and uh, loud, the air conditioning, I don't feel calm. And so getting outside and walking in the trees was good, especially during a pandemic. I was fortunate enough to be that, to be able to do that. Um, and so, look, I'm just randomly jumping through what I'm trying to say, which is when I discuss mental health, first of all, see a specialist. And that's hard. It's hard to see a specialist. It's hard to know if you're wasting your money. It's hard to know like how to find the right one. I remember when I had really, I was in a really dark place in my 20s. Uh, well, multiple times, but this particular time, uh, it was right around Christmas and no one would see me for two to three weeks. I was like, that's not useful. And then you don't know if you're going to click with a person and then they insist on seeing you every week. And I'm like, why can't we do this in like <laughs> a more intense way? <laughs> I just want to get through it. But usually, you know, usually when I do it, I just start to tell the like, tens and tens of stories, which we've all got. And hearing me talk out loud about them, it's, you know, I'm obviously seeking empathy which might or might not be something that I'm used to receiving or giving. Uh, I, tr I do try to give what I need, uh, even if I, you know, I think there's a bit of a riddle with that because I catch myself out by thinking about myself and my story and saying me, 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 and I, I, I. That's usually me trying to relate. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I try to 
I, I feel a lot of the emotions and, and can feel quite sensitive about it. And this is actually a topic we get into, I get into with Jennifer Akelame, who will be the first of the, the next season, so to speak, of the, of, of, the, uh, of the podcast. So I'm going to go through some of the questions and prompts that came through on Instagram last week. Please see a specialist, um, you know, but also there's so much power in just realizing you're not alone. Sometimes we just don't have people around us. We could be, first of all, very isolated, but also we might have people who are not very nice to us, or maybe we're not very nice to them, uh, and people who just don't understand what we're going through, but worse, don't want to understand what we're going through. And it's only worse if we need someone to understand what we're going through. So knowing that you're not alone, and this is at a year when the percentages, the data coming out that you see around alcohol and addiction and divorce, uh, also domestic violence, unfortunately, in many parts of the world, uh, mental health, like it's, it's, this is a rough year. It's a rough year. Okay, so that's like a 10 minute caveat about <laughs> saying, I'm just trying to establish that I'm trying to approach, approach this from the right place. It's easy to misspeak about mental health. It's a deeply personal thing. I'm not an expert, I'm just a, I'm almost an expert in my own situation, but I'm not an expert in general, even though I do read research and think about it. So I asked this question, what are you struggling with? And I, I wanna read you some of the an answers to that question with some of my own thoughts. And you might identify yourself in this. And I, I can tell you that just identifying that someone else feels what you might feel, there's so much power in that, in a way that you might actually beat yourself up about, like, oh, I feel a little bit better about myself because I know that I'm not alone and that someone else is going through some bad stuff. That's not to take joy in the fact that someone's going through some bad stuff. That's what comedy is for. But it's uh, it's, a, it's just like a little kick, a little kick, a little nice kick to say that you're not alone. You're like, oh, okay, it's not just me. Because otherwise you can ruminate yourself through this strange, painful cycle of there's something wrong, there's really something wrong, it's just me, I'm so broken. And then you keep going and going and going until you're just in a really bad, bad place. Uh, at that time, if, the, if you do that, go for a really long walk. Like I do these three hour walks. Uh, last two weeks ago, I did three laps around Central Park, six, seven hours. I was not in a dark place, but that movement is my body trying to get my soul to, I'm like dragging myself, my soul through uh, behind me. I'm dragging my soul behind me. That's what I'm trying to say, speak English. And it's uh, kind of cool. Um, if you're new to Sweathead, because there's a whole bunch of people who seem to be listening in a new way, these solo episodes are usually pretty rambly. I could probably script them, but they're usually pretty rambly. Um, but I realize that for most people, I'm just a character and a caricature. So, hey, if you're hanging out, welcome. First person says, so the question is, what are you struggling with? First person, this has got to be common. The answer, my home is no longer my sanctuary, it's work. And it's funny because I misquoted Thor Ragnarok, but in, there, in that film towards the end, there's this little line and it's structured like an insight. And if you've heard me talk about insights, you know what I'm talking about. But the person says, Asgard isn't a place, it's the people, something like that, right? And, and that's just to try to push us to see the idea of home or sanctuary as not necessarily having to be the thing that you know it as. So for me, I, I talk about like walking around Central Park and there are times where when my energy is not where I would like it to be, but that's a sanctuary for me. And there aren't many sanctuaries in New York, but being around the trees, committing myself to three hours near trees, usually on pavement though, and walking around, there's a bit of a sanctuary. 
granted sometimes I'm working the whole way around the phone thinking and writing interviewing taking calls but often that that's it you know so I, the point there is that try to as many of my little prompts back to the answers to the question what are you struggling with these are just pleased to try to shift your perspective about something what are you struggling with the pandemic has gifted much needed time but I'm having a tough time knowing what to do with it yeah that's a riddle isn't it uh, look the way that I navigate these things is first of all I'm aware that I tend to shift through seasons and phases and that if I'm a bit burnt out I could keep rushing or I can try to fill my day with things that are mostly good for me and I've don't you worry I've been a a vegetable on the couch and in bed for hours at a time days at a time I didn't move much on the weekend for example uh, but today I'm back up back at it and I've been up and relatively active since eight o'clock there's no point comparing yourself to what I'm talking about or to me I'm just saying I get it but then what I'll try to do is set a challenge you know so writing the book was a challenge doing 100 classes in 100 days that was a challenge so just you know if you need that uh, need something something to work on I think it's really beneficial I think psychologists talk about would talk about having some kind of task that makes you that connects you to what you enjoy potentially that you, it helps you earn money and also to some kind of community the idea of serving other people in a big creative way for many of us can keep us going so that's something to think about if you've got a lot of time but then you're wondering whether you're squandering it first of all you know you could be a bit yogic bit buddhist about it yogic's probably more accurate and just you know do what you need to do with the time you have you don't have to do anything you are where you need to be the universe will provide or set yourself a scary creative challenge and go crack at, have a crack at it uh, someone else talked about you know the fires that are uh, tearing down the west coast of the u.s and combined with covid probably also combined with the political unrest as well uh, and they talk about a looming sense of doom from it. And so, uh, you know, I, this is me trying to be positive and I'm better at this now that I'm not working in a system, that it's my own system. I go up and down, but I'm better at this. I can catch myself more often than less often. Okay, so that's good. To me, that's good. It's not perfect. You know, some people you work with or live with, they're amazing at only seeing the optimistic side of things. I go dark and I use that energy. So if you're, if you're sensing a bit of doom, a looming sense of doom, the first thing I wonder is, you know, could you turn that into creative energy? Could you, quote unquote, investigate it? Could you write a page, a poem, a story, just write a long list of adjectives? Whatever you can do, you know, you can talk, talk yourself away from that feeling or try to turn it into some art. Um, the second thing, which might be a little bit dark for you, don't want to trigger anyone with bad feelings right now, but you know, to contemplate doom is to contemplate death. And while that could be taboo for you or for some cultures or uncomfortable to think about, you know, I think about death a lot. And the book that I wrote, this will seem weird to some people, that was the book that I would want to have written about this industry from my deathbed. It's the stuff that came out and I'm happy that I did it. I think about death every day it's not normal to talk about it all the time but it is probably normal to think about it and we actually have phases in our lives i think around three to four years old kids think about it constantly apparently um, but parents probably don't talk about it with them that much uh, so the point really here is that you can contemplate death and think about what it is which is to think about what it is to be alive 
And then again, I try to turn that into something creative, right? So there's, there's a practice in meditation. I'm not an expert, but there's a practice in meditation that I've heard of, which is you repeat to yourself, I might die today as you're meditating in the morning. I might die today. I might die today. So death contemplation is part of different cultures as is gratitude and things like that and different other practices you can do within that space. But gratitude is apparently very good for the brain. Um, and so if you, you're contemplating doom and it's scaring you, just see what happens if you sit with it for a bit and face it and write it down and give it language. And if you can, if you can, start to play with it creatively. Poem, haiku, song, comedy. A lot of comedy comes from doom you know, personal doom and trauma. Panic attacks. Yeah, I've been, I've been feeling a bit panicky. I think I've been drinking a bit more coffee than normal, but uh, I get a bit panicky. And what, what I noticed, and one of the reasons, I'll work out how to talk about alcohol at some point, but I do connect some of my ability to drink a lot of alcohol to the fact that, like as a kid, if there was like a loaf of white bread and that was all in the house, I, that's what I'd eat for dinner. I'd just throw it all down. If there's a bottle of Coke, I just throw it all down. Uh, and so I've sort of had uh, the ability to binge uh, from a really young age. And I think part of that connects to anxiety, possibly also to some kind of OCD. I don't know. I don't think I've got OCD, but that behavior might. And, the ability, and, and then also ruminating. If you like constantly thinking about the same stuff, there's something a bit obsessive about it as well. And so this isn't science, but I, I wonder whether the panic and panic attacks connect to that. Now, I have spoken to people who've had panic attacks that have led to them being hospitalized. I've not gone through that. And if you have recently or you're worried about it, then I feel for you. That's a really complicated topic. And it's difficult to just drop in a few lighthearted things because it'll seem completely inappropriate uh, without examining it with a, a real expert. Um, but I know that when I, when I feel that panic, I try to put it somewhere Yes, you can sit still with it, meditate through it. I've got self-talk that I try to use to talk back to my panic. Uh, you know, one of the phrases that might come to mind is something like, I get to do, I don't have to do. So if I'm panicking about a talk or like launching a book that perhaps the whole world will hate, I'll be like, dude, you wanted to do this. You know, you don't have, you didn't have to do it. You, you got to do it. Isn't that amazing? I try to tap into a different voice in my head to calm that inner critic down. Breathing through the nose, in and out through the nose, I believe is important. Gently, I think if you breathe too much, you can, uh, it cannot be good. I've forgotten the word, hyper, uh, what's it called? Oh, yeah, you can hyperventilate. Um, you know, and then there's boundaries, setting, boundary setting, sleep, exercise, food. There are so many things that can come together just at a really simplistic in, in a very simple and obvious way but that's not going to help everybody who's going through panic attacks because there could be some real ptsd and like deep severe trauma over a long period of time or, or just one-off trauma um but hey we, we we see you we see the struggle what are you struggling with another person says finding a balance and setting time to be away from work balance is one of those words that i think is a bit misleading there are a few what i found interesting is some of the language people use and this will come as no surprise as someone who talks about words but some of the language that people use as language to label what they're struggling with i wonder if you use different language if that starts to shift some of the struggle again simplistic but 
why not try? So a word like balance, I don't really think about that too much. You know, in in this industry, I don't, I don't like what is balance anyway. Just that you feel okay in yourself and that you're earning the money that you need and you've got relationships that never change and the workflow is always well managed. I think there's just idealism in that. And I like idealism, but I think there's idealism and perfectionism in, in that word that will always let you down or you'll let it down. You'll let that idealism down because, yeah, I think it's a real misdirection. Now, if you feel that you're a bit overwhelmed, just think about uh, the big five personality traits, O-C-E-A-N. Look at the A, agreeableness. If you're high in agreeableness, you might be a people pleaser. You might not have good boundaries. You might struggle to say no. You might struggle to assert yourself. You might struggle to push back and ask for clarity on a task or why the date has been set the way it's been set. Okay, so part of this feeling out of balance could be that you're a people pleaser. That's something to examine. The other thing is to examine whether you feel you're striving for something worthwhile and whether you feel where you, whether there is any fulfillment or whether you can commit to feeling some kind of fulfillment in doing that work and then you know sometimes we just outsource our lives as, as employees there's real potential for you to outsource a lot of your life a lot of the decisions of your life when you're not an employee every day you need to wake up and remind yourself what you're doing how you're going to provide for your family what your livelihood is why that's your livelihood why that's better than other choices that you've got and you have to commit to it every single day as an employee yeah, that stuff can kind of linger in you for a while, but you know, that's probably why you have Friday drinks and then drink on Saturday and then maybe every other day is just to quell the noise that questions whether you've chosen the right path. Uh, but, you know, if you're an employee, just keep an eye on whether someone's dominating how you work because the, the, most of the places I've worked at, most of the time, are at a certain level of seniority. So, I mean, I've, look, I, I've worked in places, most of the places I've worked in have been like this, to be honest, but I know it's not everywhere in the world and it's not uh, every age, you need a level of seniority, but we usually you find a good group of people to work with, if you can. <laughs> Actually, you know what, that's probably a lie. Delete, delete, control Z. But what you might do is sit down at the start of a project. Yeah, you can do this even if you've got 10 projects on at once and go, how are we going to get through this in a sane way? And use that sense of balance is the wrong word. I think it's a misdirection, but use that sense of balance or whatever the word is that you're striving for as a, as a creative constraint and see what would have to change in the project. So for example, let's say you're all you know, working 100 hours a week. What would need to happen in the next month for all of us to work 60 hours a week? Well, you know, it's going to lead to certain things such as clearer briefs, not doing work without us all understand, understanding why we're doing work not having meetings that we don't need to have, having short meetings, not emailing long emails, making sure that whoever's responsible for approvals is available at these particular times and doesn't just move us around at a whim because they think they're powerful and they can get away with it. There's, there's certain things that will come up that will help you solve that problem. But I, I think that's another way to try to strive for uh, a sense of control, a sense of balance, a sense of validation, fulfillment. Next one, what are you struggling with? Just feeling undeserving of my current situation where there's so much pain across the world. So that's, you could label some of that as survivor's or survivor guilt, survivor's guilt. You know, when you do well or survive and other people aren't doing well or they don't survive and you're like, why me? Why am I doing okay? Who am I to feel okay about this? 
But I just say, if you're, if you're doing okay right now, congratulations. That's great. You know, it's, it's partly you, it's partly luck, it's partly the people you're around. Let's hope it stays that way because life's up and down. And it's not always going to be okay. So if you're doing okay right now, enjoy it. Um, see if you can spend a little bit of time every week helping other people. That's one way to balance that. But don't get too caught up in the guilt of it. I'm sure you modify some of your public behavior, celebrations and whatnot, if you're even celebrating. But uh, it's okay to do well. It's totally okay. Just try to bring other people through. What are you struggling with? I'm feeling weird slash sad about time and how it seems to just keep going but also paused. Yeah, it does. It, I've got nothing interesting to say on this. I mean, it does feel like we're just in this constant jet lag. Uh, and it's, 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 it's just weird. Everything's blending into everything. And it's sometimes like you feel all emotions at once, but also nothing. <laughs> it's odd. Uh, you know, the way that I deal with these things these days, more often than not, is if I'm in the mood. I'll sit down or go for a walk and think about what I could turn that feeling into. Maybe give it a name, maybe have a laugh at it. It might lead to a page of writing or a social media post. So I, I, tr I try to use all these things as... I try to use all these things. That's the sentence. But you're not alone with that feeling, that's for sure. What are you struggling with? Realizing that most of my feelings of validation come from my work. Yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with seeking validation. I, I think most artists seek validation, you know, most writers write in search of feeling understood and in, in, in search of empathy and maybe in search of love painters most people who do creative work they're, they're seeking something and it helps to get validation there's toxic validation and toxic criticism which can happen within the industry which some of the award shows some of the publications are well some of them are responsible for that toxic validation and toxic criticism uh, you've got to have some internal radar uh, to monitor what you're doing and your feelings and also uh, some way of internally validating yourself but if you didn't need validation it probably means that you're a bit of a sociopath slash utter narcissist so there's nothing wrong with that the other word there that you would play with is the word work you know because you could have my work as in your job or my work as in life's work and that is not something that everyone gets to strive towards or is aware of in all parts of the world. But I, you know, me and a lot of people I know around my age, we, we try to build more around life's work. And that, that's a multi-year shift into that way of living. And it, it might not work out for everybody. For me, there's a bit of uh, nihil or nihilism with that, which is like, you know what? I don't want anything else. This is, this is what I want. And so again, when I feel down or I'm panicking I go back to that phrase this is what you want isn't it yeah it is and I talk back to it and it gets me going again not always immediately and maybe not even on the same day what are you struggling with fighting the anxiety of putting out real work well yeah there's anxiety and there's real work in there it's like what's real work I don't have a ton of real work quote-unquote to show for my time in the US I feel like the agencies I worked at in Sydney, I would expect to have quote unquote real work every month, every two months. And here it's, it's just different. It, my experience of it has been different. And then I was also managing teams. And so the real work to me was the people work, but sometimes you still want a piece of like work that's out in public, that's good and interesting. And I just found that hard, I found it really hard. So again, 
think about what the real work is to you. If you're managing other people and real work is exclusively you doing the work, chances are you're not a very good manager. So you've got to come to terms with a different way of seeing what real work is because that's the people work. And if you're managing people, chances are you have to start with the real work being the people work. Another one. What are you struggling with? Again, I have anxiety and maybe PTSD with regards to the prevalence of layoffs in our industry. This is not going to change. You know, I remember being at a particular agency or several agencies in my 20s. And every six months, you see people leaving around the same time, sometimes lined up and getting paperwork and, and sometimes called in one after the other into a particular room and then all much, you know, leaving the building. So advertising is not a stable industry. Uh, in the US especially, it's volatile in good and not good ways. Good volatile could be that you win a pitch and you need to hire 10, 50, 100, maybe more people. Not good volatile is you could lose that client and those people now don't have jobs. So the question with this one is, you know, just assume that it's volatile. And then what are you going to do to either feel safe to protect yourself and or to enjoy the volatility of it? Because the industry is less judgmental than many other industries if you move around every couple of years. If you're moving around every three months, not as a freelancer, then that, you know, as an employee, that's probably not going to look good after a while. Uh, but people know it's, it's a difficult industry and it's structurally been shifting really quickly and aggressively, although the business model still seems like it's the same, or the business models seem like they're the same. So it could happen. Uh, I know that when I've been in, in agencies, even in management teams, where for some reason there's like, I'm in a management team where me as the strategist and maybe the creative director or the head of creative, we're like kept out of all the numbers conversations, which is so weird. Uh, I get it. You know, I've worked, walked around buildings wondering whether I'm going to survive the next day or the next week. And it's just, it's just a weird vibe. So, you know, try to live within your means as much as possible. Try to develop multiple streams of revenue. And if you're not familiar with what those concepts are, I'm not an expert, but if you're not familiar with what those concepts are, Google multiple streams of revenue and, and see how you can develop ways of earning money that are not just about a job in which you transact time for money. I'll do a couple more here. It's really just to put some words and, and a, a voice while I know I'm, I'm rambling. And it's funny, I recorded so many classes verbally and with video for a while that I kind of burnt out and, and now I'm feeling a bit rusty with my voice. Uh, but I just want to put some words and a voice to some of these things because I've, I've got a feeling that with not everyone commuting much right now that there'll be a few of you who listen to this maybe in your house, maybe as you're sleeping and I know it's calming just to know that other people are going through stuff that similar to you or, or maybe different. What are you struggling with? Figuring out how to thrive in this environment, not just cope. So again, you can sit down and write what the word thrive in this environment means. What is thriving in this environment? Uh, you know, when I start to get carried away and get nervous and get anxious, I go back to a few things and I'm, I share what I'm doing just because it's not common in our industry. There's not, you know, people get nervous that they're going to get judged. And because a lot of these things that we think in private aren't public, I think it can create more stress. So, for example, when I get nervous that I'm not doing enough because I, I wake up daily with this cocktail of regret. I wake up with regret a lot. Uh, I'm nervous for some family members. My dad just turned 86, for example, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to get back to Australia. 
I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, we've got a friend passing away. Uh, we, we, we sort of text every few days. And um, sorry just to drop these things in here. I'm just trying to be real. Uh, and it's funny not drinking, actually. Every now and then I have flashbacks to being drunk and thinking, God, dude. Like, I'm not, I don't have a history of doing crazy stuff drunk, honestly. But every now and then I'm like, dude, I, why were you out till that time <laughs> in that place? And this could be from 20 years ago. So I wake up with a sense of regret. And then there's a bit of a panic and then this inner critic can kick in. And sometimes it's like that inner critic woke up 30 minutes before me just to annoy me. And it's just, it's like going at me for 30 minutes, an hour. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been weird. So yeah. So for me, if I get to, a, to the end of this year and I've launched this sweathead, hundred classes which I've done I launched my first ever book which I've done I get the podcast happening we're going to launch Sweathead on Instagram get that happening I want to bring more voices through I know the Facebook group and the UX in Facebook's difficult it's not perfect and so I want to work out ways to get other people noticed and you know my hip hop magazine was called Stealth and it was all about getting underground voices represented right and so I realize now that I'm kind of not copying, but mimicking some of that that ethos. It's just in me, the underdog. You know, if, and so if I get to the end of the year with those things done, and if, if I can sell my book in decent numbers, an ebook, launch some t-shirts and merch, come on, dude, pandemic. That's a good year, right? This is how I talk to myself. I'm like, that's that's a good year, right? And it is. It's absolutely a good year. And uh, you know, I'm talking to hundreds of strategists a month right now. We've had open office hours. A lot of people are turning up. You know, every, anywhere from like five to fifty people. Uh, I'm trying to do some stuff with live panels. Uh, got some people helping me with a bit of stuff. I'm trying to get better at being helped. <laughs> bit, a bit of an indep- independent creature. And so I use that language to talk back to myself when I don't feel I'm doing enough. And this is really just to put some texture around the word thrive. Figuring out how to thrive in this environment, not just cope. Um, and so again, it's just finding a perspective on what that word means and then trying to connect the behavior that you're currently doing and, you, and, and being gentle with your goals. Sometimes it's like, what are the two or three things that I want to get done this month? And that's that. Write them down and try and do them. And if for some reason you don't, try it again. It's okay. What are you struggling with? Managing my anger towards people who deny science. Yeah. What for? You're not going to change them. Are you? Have you ever changed anyone? Because that would be science. If you had run experiments to prove or to show that you could change people who don't believe in science, then you run your own scientific experiment and now you could go and do it again. But chances are your own science about changing people who deny science is not favorable towards what you want to achieve. Uh, you know, I'd, Every now and then I get questions about um, the big, big systematic or systemic things, and I find it really difficult. I find it easier, not always easy, but easier to turn up for the individual or for small groups of people. It could be in the Facebook group or on Instagram or wherever it is, doing talks, email, having private conversations with people. I find it easier to be in those spaces and in those moments than, you know, capitalism sucks, climate change, what are we going to do about that? Uh, and it's not that you shouldn't spend time in those big systemic issues. I, I just find it overwhelming. I really do. Uh, you know, and as Sweathead gets bigger, sometimes people bring energy to me like I'm supposed to fix something. And I'm like, I, it's just me. It's like, what are you talking about? Uh, 
Um, having said that, I do want to try to contribute to certain things um, around sleep and gender and anti-racism and things like this. But uh, it's just so easy to misspeak, and it needs I need more time to think about it. So look, if you want to keep fighting against people who deny science, then perhaps you're denying science as well. I just pay attention to that little riddle that you set for yourself. I'll do two more. Uh, what are you struggling with? Self-sabotage, especially the more praise I get. Yeah, so this is interesting. I, I think it's worth just trying to find the pattern. Is it really self-sabotage? How are you defining self-sabotage? And then what are you doing? So how do you define it and what are the actions? What are, and then what are the patterns in those actions? And what can you connect them to? You know, sometimes I think we can hurt ourselves so that others can't. It's sort of this preemptive self-destruction. And you're essentially saying, not out loud, but you're saying to someone, yeah, you can't hurt me. I'm successful, but you can't hurt me because I've already done it. I don't like myself anyway. That kind of stuff, right? Um, and so I think it's worth I think it's worth paying attention to. And then it's the phrase, the more praise I get. So you struggle with self-sabotage, the more praise you get. So is praise triggering this self-sabotage and, and why why are you seeking out this praise and then hurting yourself and are you hurting yourself so you get more praise in front of the other person chances are there's something to do with parents in that kind of interaction uh, often and this is in mythology and in movies but often and in dreams actually they often i keep saying often often a father is seen as an authority figure and sometimes in our dreams our fathers die but that's not necessarily about our father it could be about authority and uh, I'll, I don't want to use direct language like this but there is a sense that metaphorically speaking that our fathers and mothers need to die so that we can become full humans that's metaphorically speaking okay I don't mean to hurt anyone but it, it you know, as they metaphorically pass, or you, it helps you reestablish yourself as a, as an adult. Uh, so that's worth looking into as well. But really, it's just examining self sabotage. What do you mean by that? What are the actions that you're doing? What's the pattern? Can you see a pattern? Is it useful just to say that there's a pattern and to name it, and then to see if it's actually the pattern, <laughs> uh, and then pay attention as you do it. One final struggle what are you struggling with loneliness and less spontaneity yeah you know what i am so good at loneliness and you know i can be next to somebody that i've wanted to catch up with and within 30 minutes i just feel lonely it's so odd and maybe lonely is not actually the word because i actually think when uh, if i go a bit deep on this i think that loneliness is actually a feeling that I've had from a young age, which is that I don't belong in this world. I don't fit into it. And that is an easy thing to trigger in me. It's like a few loud people, a person or two who talk over me. I've been in a lot of situations, especially in New York, with parents who don't ask questions, they just talk. And so my relationship is like, okay, fine, I'll ask you questions. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't really fit in here. But then I go, and here's where I can catastrophize, where I then can go, well, I don't fit in anywhere. But here's the deal. Talking like this, as a weirdo, talking like this, the book that I've written, 
the podcast interviews that I do, the Sweathead Facebook group, I've created a way to fit in that helps me fit in. It gives me a center. And it's not that I'm in any of those things all the time, but I have tried to create the thing that I need. And you can analyze that in whichever way you would like. So look, if you're feeling a bit lonely and you're not feeling very spontaneous, I mean, why don't you reach out to people in a spontaneous way? Solve two things at once. I don't know what you, what you would do. You could reach out with a game to play. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I've, I don't know if this has been super... Uh, super. I don't know if this has been very useful, but I'm going to put it up on the internet and I'll leave it up a little. I might delete some of my monologues and my walks and talks from earlier because I feel that a few of them are a bit rambly. The I did one about discovering a self, if a self is a thing a couple of weeks ago, and 2,500 people have listened to it. I was quite surprised. It could be because that's the only episode. Well, that, that episode was three weeks ago, so maybe that's why. But I've also had a few messages about it. So I enjoy doing this. I appreciate you turning up. Sometimes it's just okay to hear a deep mumbly Australian voice and that's totally cool if that's what you get out of this I realize that there's a benefit in just hearing somebody drone on I often fall asleep to Alan Watts but he's incredible uh, and definitely not droney and the way that sometimes he says stuff and I'm listening to him on YouTube at you know midnight or after and the lights are off and I'm sleeping he'll just rip out rip out or whip out whip out a phrase and it just breaks my brain and reality as I know it and then I'm like oh maybe I can't sleep now I can't believe he just said that uh, that's definitely not what I'm doing here, but I, I appreciate that for some people we're just characters. And for some of you, I'm hoping that talking like this might actually help you sleep tonight. Peace.